Welcome back to the Clemson Podcast. Clemson is your back-to-back ACC champion. Will Muschamp is headed to his third consecutive Birmingham Bowl. You can't spell Louisville without three L's, and life is good. Welcome back, guys. This is your host, Nick. I'm joined tonight by Ben, and this is the podcast ACC Championship Game Recap Show. Uh, Cody is absent tonight, but we will forge ahead in his absence. And just a heads up. This is our first of many shows heading into the college football playoff season. Uh, Going to do the ACC recap tonight. Uh, looking ahead, of course, we will do an Ohio State preview for the Fiesta Bowl, uh, maybe across two different shows. Hoping to get a couple of potential interviews going on as well here. Um, and now that we have a little bit of it, some downtime in football, we will look to other Clemson sports, namely basketball, uh, to catch you guys up on what's going on there. Um, so Ben... Just uh, maybe we can kick this one off just with some initial thoughts coming out of that game last night. Um, for me, I feel like, um, you know, certainly we can get into the action around the rest of college football and everything else going on, but um, let's keep it to this game first. For me, this is an awesome win for us. Um, we knew going in that Virginia Tech, like to win the Coastal, in Rear's past, I think the Coastal has been kind of a down division, but with a spate of new coaching hires there, I mean, I think you saw a resurgence in kind of the top end of that division. And Virginia Tech was a very formidable champion from that side, and they showed it. Um, you know, I, I won't say Clemson was fortunate to get out of there with the win. I think we earned that win, and that was, that was a solid performance from Clemson across the board. Um, and really showing the, the heart of a champion and the ability to uh, maintain a lead, you know, even in the face of a, a furious comeback. Yeah, I mean, we, we controlled the game for the most part all game long. I w- really wasn't concerned uh, there until the end. You know, when they go on a 21-7 to run, obviously you're going to have a little bit of concern. But, I mean, again, this is something Clemson has done all year. Um, but they, they stood up to the test, and they held when they needed to be, mm-hmm. when they needed to. I mean, listen, Virginia Tech, that was a really, really tough football team. And I think that their future is really bright under Justin Fuente. Uh, he showed why he deserved to win the Coach of the Year award. And then, of course, Bud Foster is still a really, really good defensive coordinator. Um, I honestly, you mentioned the ACC Coastal was kind of a knockdown, drag out uh, type of fight this year between about four teams there at the top. Uh, but looking at all of them, I really think that Fuente has Virginia Tech in a good spot to take them back to reign over that ACC Coastal for quite some time now. Yeah. Um- I mean, I don't mean to gloat here, but I, I picked them to win the Coastal based on a lot of the continuity they had within their staff, certainly bringing Fuente in to replace Frank Beamer. You're going to get new concepts, maybe a rejuvenation on the offensive end. Um, he, he brought Gerard Evans with him as well. That certainly helped um, down the stretch here. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think they may, they may end up being the class of that division. Um, we'll see what Mark Rick's able to pull off and – I personally feel like, you know, you've heard Larry Fedora's name in coaching searches across the board. We'll see where North Carolina ends up in, in future seasons here. He may be staying put and, you know, might be sort of a three-horse race at the top there. And let's not sleep on Pitt. You know, what they did to us and to Penn State this year, um, 
you know, I'm, I'm glad we're, we're not going to be facing them next year. Uh, just, you know, we'll, I'm sure we'll make it up to their place soon enough here um, to play Pitt in Pittsburgh. But, um, yeah, Coastal, I think, is rejuvenated based on these coaches. But Fuente, you know, they're going to have to come and take it from them, I think. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and it's not just, you know, it's not a cakewalk in the ACC anymore. The, the conference has really gotten better. We mentioned this coming into last season with the addition of so many really, really good coaches at the conference. That's where it starts. The better coaches you have, they're going to recruit better. They're going to push for better facilities. And all of a sudden, you're going to start being able to compete uh, with these better programs. I think on rivalry weekend, what the ACC was like 3-1 and one against the SEC this year. And, you know, obviously, we'll go into bowl games uh, this, this uh, December and into January and see all the ACC fairs. But, you know, you can't just win the ACC Atlantic anymore. And as tough as that is with Louisville and Florida State, it's going to be there, but you also have to pay some respect to the the winner of the ACC Coastal. It's going to be tough, man. You know that was the best defense and offense Virginia Tech had faced all year long, and they probably played one of their best games. Yeah, definitely. And it, uh, for a while, I think we were all complaining that oh man, we we got to face Georgia Tech every year as our coastal rival, and you you slot in a, a second coastal team the way we we do our schedule. Um, we might we might end up looking at Georgia Tech as kind of one of the easier opponents going forward, yeah, at least I, as long as Paul Johnson's there. I think it's kind of like how South Carolina thrived with Steve Spurrier when the SEC East, well, it's still down, but you know, was a really crappy division in college football. Uh, the same way that Georgia Tech kind of thrived when the ACC Coastal was down with this this gimmick offense. Uh, that was really able to keep them afloat and keep them towards the top of the top of the conference. Now, granted, they did have some good athletes from time to time that you know helped them uh, achieve that level of success. But I think you're going to start to see them sink back towards the bottom uh, once you get these more, uh, not more traditional offenses necessarily, but ones that are more forward thinking and kind of keeping up with the times and not sticking with some antiquated triple option. Yeah, for sure. Well, we can move off the coastal and we'll clearly touch on what. Virginia Tech brought to this game. Um, I will say, I mean, I think from a brand perspective, Virginia Tech, I mean, they've represented the ACC quite a bit since joining the conference in terms of back in the BCS era being our automatic qualifier team. You know, they, they went to the Rose Bowl, or sorry, the Orange Bowl a number of years. Never quite got over that hump. Um, you know, we, we certainly did not either in that era um, outside of the, the Orange Bowl victory over Ohio State. Um, but in any event, you know, I think Virginia Tech represented well and they're, they're the program on the upswing. Um, for me, though, shifting back to this game and Clemson's play, I mean, I, I thought that this was, you said we controlled the game, and I, I think I, I tend to agree with that. Um, I think we came out from the start and looked strong on both sides of the ball, which was good to see that level of focus coming into this game. Didn't doubt that for a minute, but you know, you never know. You know, Neutral site, kind of a big game. Um, this Clemson team's played all, every single big game that you can possibly play as a program the last two years. Uh, but great to see kind of solid execution out of the gate. And maybe just another kind of high-level thought for the game. I thought we got the majority, if not all, of our you know, household names involved, especially on the offensive end. We saw plays happening from nearly every single receiver we had. We had big runs by C.J. Fuller and Wayne Gallman. Uh, Jordan Leggett was awesome. So, um, you know, no one better than Deshaun Watson this game. I thought it was a relatively complete performance offensively um, and then defense had tons of playmakers going as well and we'll dig into both phases but kind of my thought in general was I, I didn't find myself in this game saying like man why can't we get xyz player involved seemed like the coaching staff was moving the ball around 
Yeah, no, I generally think that they did well on both sides of the ball. There, there was some uh, mistakes on defense, and we'll get into that. I think uh, Virginia Tech and their scheme matched up really well with what we're able to do on defense. But no, I think this is just, again, another situation where Clemson failed to drive the dagger into a team and really put them away. Um, although the thing is, this time, it's really hard to put your finger on it because, again, Virginia Tech was not a vastly inferior opponent. I will mention it again. They were a really good football team. I don't know how Evans was a Juco QB, but he doesn't have the best mechanics in the world as a passer, but he is a solid quarterback for them. Yeah. Amazing poise, and you know he he imitated Deshaun's kind of a bow and arrow shtick at the very you know kind of at the end talking smack as they were mounting a comeback, and um, I don't know, yeah, the guy's got. And it's good. I mean, like if I'm energy. a Virginia Tech fan, I want to see that confidence in my quarterback. Uh, yep. But you know, yeah, that still Clemson had a 35 to 14 lead among others in the third quarter and, and failed to put it away. I mentioned the 21 to seven run that Virginia Tech went on to tee in the game. But, hey, we won the turnover battle, so it wasn't that. Uh, there was that one interception by Deshaun Watson, but that was it. Yeah. Uh, the, the really only thing that I can pick out is some critical false starts in the fourth quarter. You know, it, it wasn't interceptions, it wasn't drops, it wasn't fumbles, but it's always something, you know, with this team and why we play uh, certain teams close. You know, I really yeah. think that Clemson is yet to put together a complete game against a quality opponent this year, which is kind of exciting. It's like, hey, we can play better than we have been, but it's also kind of – you know, well, we've just kind of done enough to beat everybody, really well, except for Pitt this year. Right. Um, so if we can take this time off and, and get things together, we have possibly two games left, and we're going to need to put together two solid near-perfect games to beat them. Yeah, absolutely. There's almost no margin for error in these next, you know, certainly in the Ohio State matchup, and should we prevail there in the next week or in the next game? Um, I mean, I think – it's unreasonable to expect you, us to hold a, in a conference championship game your opponent down for four quarters. You know they're very well coached team. They're they're well deserving of the of the distinction of playing in that game, Virginia Tech. I mean, um, and you said you know we failed to kind of put the dagger in them or put them completely away. I mean, I think it got to the point where that game was you got to trade touchdowns, and there were a couple of offensive drives where you know, false starts gave us a, a bit of a longer down and distance, uh, and where possible. I mean, I think that's where you saw Deshaun Watson lead his team to victory. Um, certainly got some amazing catches going from Hunter Renfro and Deion Kane there, both for over 30 yards. Um, but it's interesting, you know, you could say it's great that we got those, but we had to get those was the thing. Either of those passes going complete, chances are that drive stalls and we're looking at overtime or we're looking at Fuente going for two to potentially take the lead on us. Well, so. and that's what kind of gets lost in all of this because, again, we take for granted how good Deshaun Watson actually is. He made some amazing throws in that game, and his ability at times to really to have the poise and methodically drive us down the field. Even uh, I think our last – I think it was our last score where we had a couple critical false starts, um, and we still overcame that and drove down the field and scored. So it, it does get lost in all of that just because we're just so spoiled with how good he's been for three years for this football team. But I'll tell you what, not only is Clemson back-to-back ACC champions, Deshaun Watson is back-to-back ACC championship game MVP. I think that was a Heisman-worthy performance that we saw. And I think all things considered, the way uh, Lamar Jackson has ended the season and how Deshaun Watson has risen to the occasion, I, I, I think he's right up there and has a good shot of winning the Heisman. Yeah, why don't we wrap this game, then we'll get into that and figure out. I'll give you my thoughts on whether I thought he uh, 
he sealed it um, on Saturday night. But before we move on, I just wanted to mention something our um, friends over at TigerNet are doing. If you guys are interested in going to the Fiesta Bowl, um, going out to Glendale to watch the Tigers play Ohio State, um, TigerNet is partnering up with a travel company. Their prime sport is the name um, to put together travel packages for Clemson fans, uh, regardless of where you're based, um, to get out to ten- or sorry to Glendale to see the game. Um, so head over to TigerNet and check that out. Um, look for their official bowl game travel ticket packages. Um, they're up now. Now that we're confirmed to be into that game, um, you can check that out. Looks like. They have direct flights going from Greenville Spartanburg Airport. You can stay at a resort. Looks like the Weston Resort out there um, in the desert. That's in Scottsdale, which is an awesome place to hang out. Um, I went, you know, Ben. We were down there last year for the Natty. A lot of fun in Arizona. Um, Scottsdale was where the party was at. Indeed. So we saw CJ Spiller, Jacoby Ford, Brandon Thomas. I got my famous high five from him. Treble Reese was there, I believe. Treble Reese. They had pizza with Treble Reese. That Amazing. was that was fun. <laughs> um, so yeah, you know, if you're if you just don't want to figure out, I know it's expensive to get out there. These guys at Prime Sport seem to have it covered. Um, just one stop shopping, get it done with them. So um, if you're interested, you don't want to lift a finger booking your travel. Tiger Nets got you covered. Maybe let's stick with the offense here. You know, I think obviously a great start to this game. Um, going up 14 nothing. really that first drive, you could not have asked for a much better drive unless you wanted a big play touchdown. Um, but methodically drove down, got the running game going, um, you know, did everything that we had all hoped in the lead-up would happen for us. Um, then you saw Bud Foster adjust, and they were dedicated and committed to stopping the run, um, and we did not seem to get things going. We had a couple of nice pass plays um, in the second quarter, but really stalled and didn't, didn't we're not able to put up you know, too many points um, leading into halftime. But I want to give kudos to Tony Elliott and the coaching staff of making adjustments and really prioritizing getting Deshaun Watson going in the running game. I don't have the numbers in front of me. I don't know, Ben, if you've looked at how many rush it, rushing attempts Deshaun had in this game. Uh, but certainly it was probably his highest mark on the season. And I think that was, that was really the, the difference in, in, the, in what I would consider to be um, us – putting this game in a position to win. Well, he was actually the leading rusher on the team with 85 yards ahead of Wayne Train, and he matched Wayne with uh, 17 carries. Both of them had 17 carries on the night. And listen, I was kind of surprised Virginia Tech withheld pressure early on, and that's when Clemson was able to march up and down the field. I thought uh, we had great tempo and play calling, especially on the first drive of the game, and there were holes. Wayne Gallman was getting a push, but then all of a sudden it stalled. You mentioned Bud Foster did a really good job of adjusting. Uh, they started selling out to stop the run and started getting depression on, uh, pressure on Deshaun Watson in the second quarter, um, which you would think that would open up plays downfield, but the pressure was coming so quick, and it made it really difficult for Deshaun Watson. And, you know, after that, Wayne Gallman really never got going. Yeah, it's true. Um, so, you know, it's, it's nice that we were able to open up with some of the run pass option or some just straight-up design run plays for Deshaun into the third quarter to sort of loosen things up again and, um, you know, you saw some fly sweeps or uh, one sticking out of my mind, Artavis Scott, that got some chunk, play, chunk yardage. But in general, um, you know, good that we were able to find our way through that. You know, kind of shows the you probably expected Virginia Tech to have a counterpunch to what we were doing on offense early. Um, I'm glad we were scoring touchdowns, not field goals early on in those drives. 
because you knew that was coming and we were going to have to withstand their defense's adjustment. It didn't look like anybody was going to stand for settling for a field goal in this game. Yeah, it felt, I mean, it's, it's odd. This didn't have the entire game feel of that North Carolina game a year ago, but the final score is certainly really close. I think we won 45-37 a year ago. This was 42-35, so not too far off. But that one was another game where it was you know, kind of a heavyweight slugfest of touchdown after touchdown. Yeah, and you mentioned Artavis Scott, and I, I said it going into the, uh, in our kind of preview leading up to this game, I thought getting him involved, we had a good opportunity of exploiting some things there. And, you know, he led the team in receptions. He didn't lead the team in yardage, but he did have seven catches on the day. Um, and, you know, the play calling, uh, talking about that again, we kind of criticized Tony Elliott throughout the year. I thought it, he did really well at adapting when necessary uh, in this game. I mean, again, we put up 42 points against a good defense. Um, yeah, you know, towards, I, towards, that point there is yeah. well worth noting. Yeah. Um, towards you know, the end of the game, I thought Virginia Tech seemed to have a bit of an upper hand, but I think that was more so. Deshaun Watson had some low passes that killed some drives uh, on top of um, a, another drive near the end of the game that was killed by some false starts. Yeah. I do question why there were no more deep balls attempted in this game because when they are selling out to stop the run, I think that that opens things up and you're able to trust our receivers and Kane and Mike Williams to get open and go up over a guy and make a catch. And I recall that once with Deion Kane, I believe, but otherwise I was kind of surprised, especially with how well Deshaun Watson has been throwing the deep ball lately because his touch and accuracy on that pass has gotten a lot better here in the last few weeks of the regular season. Yeah, I mean, I think you saw, I consider the, Hunter Renfro. I mean, these were not you know bombs, but certainly they were they were necessary thirty plus yard passing plays, yeah. and largely those were those were through receptions through the air. Those weren't runs and catches. And pressure was coming Catch pretty quick. I mean, he did not have a lot of time to yeah. get his feet set. I mean, well, there were a t- couple, couple of deeper ones where he just kind of threw it off his back foot. Well, I think going into this game, we you know we profile you guys profile Virginia Tech in the preview show um, pretty well, and talking about their strongest you know, attributes as a defense were on passing downs. And I think it is due to their, the pressure they can apply. Uh, were you impressed by their secondary in terms of coverage? I mean, I think it seemed like when we had to get catches and had to make plays, our receivers were able to do that. Then again, we got world-class receivers. Well, and that's what I was going to say. I haven't been impressed by anybody's secondary against us in coverage this year. And I think for the most part, it was due to the pressure that they were bringing that really kind of disrupted Deshaun Watson. And honestly, it's going to give uh, uh, you know, Ohio State and possibly uh, the winner of the Alabama-Washington game, some good tape and some good ideas about how to defend against us because we haven't seen Deshaun Watson uh, uh, been pr- uh, be pressured a lot this year. As much as we've given the offensive line uh, crap for not being uh, having the best run blocking this year, they have done pretty well in pass protection. So, yeah. But again, this was a really good defense. They had the best third down defense in college football. We went six of eleven on third down in in this game, which is you know a, a pretty decent mark against a, a team like that. So you know, again, we did put up forty two points on them, but still, kudos to Bud Foster because he really made us work for him. Yeah, definitely. Um, any other parting thoughts in general on offense? Uh, well, you know, Jordan Leggett, again, just a, a really, really 
good game and some clutch catches for him. I know we all had a scare there when he went down, but I, I'm thinking he just kind of landed on the ball. Yeah, he was out there pretty much the next series yeah. for sure. So. And then what can you say? What else can you say about Hunter Renfro? Man, that kid is clutch. Had that 31-yard catch on second and 19 and then capped it off with a TV. And I think we were all super happy to see him. Like we, He deserved that when you saw Dabo talking to him on the sideline. Uh, so that was... Uh, that was really cool to see. And Hunter Renfro again, the guy that's been clutch all year. And then lastly, you know, props to Taylor Hearn on that. That <laughs> scored Deshaun Watson running in to, the, to get us to 35. He had a push that really got us into the end zone. And there have been times this year where we've had uh, third and short, fourth and short, third and goal, where we haven't seen that. We haven't seen anybody from the offensive line come and give that push. But, man, he got in there, got nasty, pushed Washington, Watson across the goal line. Yeah, I think you saw Watson's reaction to that touchdown. Just you know, throw up the throw up the biceps. Um, that I think that was a culmination of you know a, a number of factors. Some of the plays you mentioned earlier in the year, not getting short yardage. You know, I think he probably wishes he had more rushing touchdowns on the season as well. Just awesome to see, and great great to see that O line get that push without needing to bring in the, the double jumbo package. And I've been saying it all year long. If you're going to bring in the, the jumbo package on fourth and goal, third and goal or something like that, just do it on second down, mm. first down. We didn't see it in this game, and I know they're trying to, to hide some things. But I'm cool. Let's get it with our standard front. Um, let's, not, let's not risk injury with Dax and Christian Wilkins. And A lot on the line, man. I don't know. But, <laughs> you know, there's just been times where I've seen us save it to, like, third down and fourth down and let's not make it that you know you start trying that on second eventually you're going to get it in anyways didn't yep. didn't matter this game uh we did pretty well i think on short yardage um and yeah overall not not a lot to complain about from the offense you mentioned deshaun watson's int i don't know necessarily obviously you like to have that throwback but probably something where uh, that was just a, a a reaction to pressure that had been happening, and he, he felt like the need to get the ball out quickly. I would say um, I'm not sure who was, who was playing right tackle on that play. I, I don't recall. I haven't yeah. gone back and watched yet. I think that's, that's a situation where if you start to see the defender sort of raise his head, look to the quarterback to make a play, almost raise the arms, you got to lay them out, or you have to engage them further. Um, otherwise, you're going to get blocked passes, tipped balls, and ultimately lead to INTs here. Well, and that, that's been something with Deshaun Watson all year. I mean, he's he's had a lot of tip balls at the line of scrimmage, and I think that wasn't the only one he had in this game. He did break the dude's hand, though. <laughs> yeah, it looked like <laughs> that one smarted quite a bit. Um, I, I don't know how fast of a fastball he's got coming out of the pocket there, but could not have felt good. <laughs> I mean, I think that guy was out of the game for quite a while. Um, to his yeah. credit, he came back in, but he's a D. He doesn't really need his, right. he's not, his paw that not, much. Not a ball handler. Yeah necessarily um well yeah you know 42 points solid offensive effort um really looking forward to seeing what this offense can do against ohio state coming up um we will certainly profile that team and take a look at where their defensive strengths and weaknesses are um, but if you look across the course of this season florida state when we played them their defense was much better than the first month of the year um when they had looked I think they proved themselves down the, down the stretch to be a very dominant front and a very good defense overall. Um, enough has been said about Auburn's defense. You know, Virginia Tech was certainly stout here. Um, Clemson has proven throughout, you know, time and again here this season that we can, we can impose our offensive agenda against darn near anybody. 
And um, it was nice to see that coming up, come up against here. And that gives me quite a bit of confidence going into the, the postseason, um, especially if, you know, a lot of our sentiment about the offense this year is that maybe a little concern about them living up to our expectations. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, it may not have been as pretty as we all might have hoped, but, you know, ultimately they got things done and they're looking about as good as they have right now throughout as they have throughout the course of the year. Yeah, no, I, I think they're completely dialed in. Listen, even in a loss of the pit, they put up, I think, the most yardage that we've had in a game all year. This this offense is dialed in, and they, they have, for the most part, proven all year long that the only, the only team that can stop Clemson's offense is Clemson's offense itself. Yeah, for sure. So fortunate this game was we won the turnover battle, that turnover, that INT, did not ultimately come back to cost us this game. Um, so good stuff there. Um, flipping to the other side of the ball, Clemson defense uh, started the game really well. I thought, um, you know, and you can chalk that out to a number of different things, but I think ultimately this one was about being prepared for your opponent and coming in with intensity. Um, you know, there really were two to three phases of this game for our defense, and I think another phase of the game where we looked really strong was coming out of halftime and knowing that, man, that their defense had made an adjustment. They were getting stops, you know, when we had the ball, the first three, maybe four drives on defense after the half, after halftime, um, Clemson really, really showed quite a bit of intensity and um, really looked like the, the Clemson defense we've come to expect this season. Um, I think coming into this game, we were number six in the country in S and P plus defense. Um, and I feel like, you know, short of, I mean, certainly 35 points, allowing that is is not going to do you any favors. Um, and chances are, there, you know, that'll, we may move back somewhat statistically. But, um, yeah, we can get in, in here to some of the, the missed plays and how they came up with 35 points. But um, all in all, I thought this was still a very strong defensive game for Clemson. Well, listen, Fuente, he's brought an offensive identity to this Virginia Tech team that they've been lacking for uh, quite a long time. And that's with pretty much, for the most part, lacking a run game. You know, this offense is at its best when it's throwing the ball, getting it out quickly to their their explosive receivers out there on the outside. Um, and, and that's what it turned into is their focus was on the quick passing game. And that's something that can really neutralize Clemson's biggest strength on defense, which is their defensive line and their pass rush. You know, the majority all year of Virginia Tech's uh, damage on offense is, is through the air, on stuff to the outside or quick slants. And, you know, I thought coming in that they would need to establish some semblance of a running game to find success, uh, but that wasn't the case. They, they were still very successful moving the ball uh, up and down the field. Um, you know, until they got in the red zone, though, because when they got in the red zone, it seems like all that Evans had to do was run up the middle, and he was going to get the push, and he was going to get into the end zone. Uh, it, it's odd. Like, the leading rushers for both teams in this game – was their quarterbacks. Yeah, that did not expect that on, the, on either side coming into this game. But um, that you know shows they, they took what they were able to get from the opposing defenses. Um, and for the most part, Clemson did a really good job of containing Evans in the run game. He only averaged 2.2 yards a rush. only had 40-something yards on the, on the game. But I'd like to look at that. The red, red zone. Yeah, I'd, look, I'd like to look at that either by quarter or by position on the field. And I think you're, that'll tell us some of the story here. But I also, I mean, I noticed something – in terms of their offense making adjustments late, actually throughout the game, um, seemed like they were avoiding Christian Wilkins' side of the field at all costs. You really didn't see um, him make too big of an impact in terms of 
the pass rush or in pursuit tackles, that kind of thing. And, um, you know, that, that's something that if you can neutralize one of our best, best players, it's going to, going to give you a shot in this game. He had one tackle on the day. Um, so yeah, you yeah. didn't, you didn't hear his name called a lot. Yeah, obviously I, for sure. Um, you know, again, not that we've got to get every single player on our team involved, but you know, if you're if you're game planning against Clemson, that's that's probably a pretty good way to go. Um, well, and then on the opposite of that, you know, the other side, Farrell had six tackles, three solo, one sack, two tackles for losses. So he held up and did his part again. It wasn't anything in the running game, really, for the most part, that that had an effect on this Clemson defense. Um, you know, they dominated early, and a lot of the four-man rushes were working early on. It did wear down towards the end of the game. I think it's going to be really good to get Scott Pagano back just for some depth there, some really, really quality depth. He would start for most teams in the nation. Um, but, again, neutralizing our strength by, by going with the quick passes, that's, what they've, that's been their MO all year long, and they did it very well in this game. Definitely. Um, highlight plays for me on defense. Obviously, the first Tankersley interception was crucial. Um, and then very late in the game, Carlos Watkins' sack um, on that final drive, just you know, right after they had gained a pretty big first down, they had all the momentum in the world. To get that sack really, I think, took some wind out of their sails. And Carlos Watkins just, you know, is there, is there a big game where he hasn't made that type of signature play you know, this season? I don't think so. And he has been such a force uh, for us on that interior defensive line, and it kind of gets overshadowed a bit with the emergence of, uh, of Dexter Lawrence this year. But you know, he, he's one of the MVPs of this team for sure, and he's—I mean—he's a monster out there. And the quickness and speed that all of these big guys have—it's amazing. And shout out to Dan Brooks, man, assistant uh, coach of the year, and he deserved every bit of it. Uh, he's done a great job with these guys, as talented as they are. Um, this has been a, a shining spot for this defense, and they've really carried us because, listen, our linebackers, as good as they are, they're not great in coverage. And our secondary has a lot of weak spots, and I'm hoping we're going to be able to remedy here over the next few weeks of bowl practice because in this particular game, you know, they had trouble against uh, Virginia Tech's bigger wide receivers. They were able to hold Bucky Hodges only to one catch, and that was on that weird play where they dropped 11 guys back. Apparently somebody we- was supposed to blitz there. Is that is that real? You read someone was supposed to blitz. I, it was just a mis misread play call. Yeah, apparently one person, whoever was unblocked, was supposed to blitz on that play. I think we heard it from Dexter Lawrence. Um, you know what's odd about that? I mean, yeah, um, they had all the time in the world to throw and make that play. Uh, still didn't need to be that big of a big of a shot. I think you know Ryan Carter was in coverage on that one, right? Like, yeah, and he, he wasn't. He was wasn't, behind the receiver. He was behind him, and that guy's like six five. He wasn't <clears throat> right. in a good position on that play, but. Yeah. It, it, you know, it wasn't just that. I think in general, the the secondary was just giving guys too much cushion in this game, and maybe it's because they were afraid of getting beat over the top. But again, that's not Virginia Tech's mo. So I think you got to play these guys a little bit tougher and more physical. We're physical across the defensive line. We're physical the linebacker position, but it's not the same with our cornerbacks and our our safeties. You know, Tank. You know, as good as he is, he gets caught a lot of times this year not turning around and looking for the ball, and we're a little too handsy. When in coverage, wasn't a lot of pass interference calls in this game, but there's a lot to be fixed there. And I think a good passing team, you're talking about matching up against somebody potentially, you know, nobody expects Washington to beat Alabama, but let's say Clemson beats Ohio State and Washington beats Alabama and we face a team like Washington in the national championship game, 
you got to watch out for getting burned because Washington will be able to do that to you. Um, two quick points on the linebacker core. Number one, I think losing Dorian O'Daniel to a targeting call very early in this game definitely affected both the depth and kind of the um, time that certain players had to be on the field. Um, but also just I think the effectiveness of that, of that core uh, in coverage. Well, Jalen Williams gave up that one bad uh, touchdown. To Cam Williams, yeah. Or Cam Phillips, sorry. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, no, I, I totally agree with you. I think with Daniel going down, and a lot of people probably don't, uh, they underestimate him and maybe uh, don't agree with that because he didn't play as much at the beginning of the season. But I've seen him in there a lot more lately, and he's been playing really well. His, I think his instinct has gotten better because his athleticism has always been there. He is a more uh, athletic guy than Jalen Williams. Most people think that Williams' instinct is a bit better than O'Daniel's, but I think it did hurt to lose him. Thank goodness that he was out, uh, thrown out at least in the first half, so we get him back for the full uh, game against Ohio State. Yeah, and then the other other point about um, the linebackers, just want to commend Ben Woolware once more on a wrestling caliber move. <laughs> it, I guess you could call that a clothesline. It was sort of like a punch as well, um, where he just leveled um, the pass catcher there. Just incredible. He, he incredible pushes move. things like as close to the line as you can get without going over him. <laughs> that man will use any body part to take you down. Yeah, exactly. So good to see that. Keep it up, Ben Woolware, please. Um, I, going back, though, to your point about our secondary We've not seen him play a single snap this year. I think we all predicted that he would have a much um, faster, or I'm sorry, slower return than was originally reported. But do you think there's any shot that we see Adrian Baker come back and play for Clemson in the playoff? That's a good question, and I've thought about that. There's a few guys that I want to really see turn the corner, and one being uh, Mark Fields, and the other guy, Adrian Baker as well. When they told us sometime late September when he first got injured, Listen, guys don't come back from ACL injuries as quick as that. Only Adrian Peterson does, you know. <laughs> um, Kobe Bryant. And, well, Kobe Bryant in basketball. But, you know, he, he got back into practice late in the season, and they just haven't felt that he's ready to go. So, again, I feel like it might be another one of those situations like Corn Wiggins. You know, he might have been ready to go last year. But it's just getting back to the speed of the game, getting your instinct back, getting the reps, and maybe yeah, it'll this happen. This is not the – this is not the game to try to get, get back in. It's not like out. baseball yeah. where you can go play in the Arizona League or play some AAA rehab starts. It's coming in against an Ohio State offense and against JT Barrett is not the spot to knock off the rust. So, I mean, who knows? If he's been 100% all along and that's a secret weapon that the coaching staff has, we would not know about it just by the way that this coaching staff operates and, you know, kind of the gag orders that they have involved with certain things. But... Um, so yeah, we'll see what happens. We'll see if three weeks of bull practice gets him in there. He's able uh, to get his conditioning back and he, and he gets some good reps. And then another guy, you know, Trayvon Mullen, does he come along? Does he come along in bowl practice? One of the things that bowl practice is good for is to get freshmen who have been playing all year long, haven't redshirted, even redshirt freshmen, to get them some extra reps because that can turn them around and they can, you know, turn a page given that time off and make an impact in the bowl game. We see it happen often. So I'll be interested to see, especially in the secondary, um, if having this extra time off is of any benefit. Because guess what? Ohio State, they've got a lot of young guys on that team. It's certainly going to help them. For sure. And you mentioned Pagano coming back. It's going to help an already you know, really strong defensive line become that much more stout. 
And what he gives you on just that pressure up the middle is critical. I think he, he may be our, our best um, sort of, you He's know. a bulldozer, man. Yeah, bull, yeah, bulldozer from inside sort of guy. You know, again, we do have a 340-pound defensive tackle, nose tackle as well going on here but uh, it's gonna be solid to get him back I th- he's on track right as far as you've heard yeah i think everybody expects that he'll be back uh for the bowl game for the first playoff game um well i believe you mentioned sort of some of the lapses later in the game it felt like uh gerard evans got what he wanted and it also felt like there were moments even tank himself uh we had some arm tackles going on we had some whiffs you know not a lot of um, aggressiveness and pop coming from some players, predominantly the secondary. And I think that's something that has got to change when you play a team like Ohio State. Uh, they, they, may not, they may not have the size that some of the other opponents we face have, but they definitely have um, great athletes there. And you're going to need to wrap up. And I just think in general this is, a, this is an aspect of the defense that we can't afford to have go wrong um, in the Fiesta Bowl. Yeah, I mean – this is the biggest weakness on this defense is the, you know, a secondary that's just not that physical. Uh, they're not the same guys, T.J. Green or uh, J. Ron Curse from last year, just physical specimens, uh, really hard hitters. You know, Van Smith, give him another offseason in the weight room. I think he's going to be a fantastic safety, but it's, not, it's just not there yet. So, like you mentioned, a lot of... Uh, wide receivers, they're bigger wide receivers breaking arm tackles in this game, and that led to a lot of the yardage. So that's the biggest gripe on this defense right now. Yeah, and that's hopefully where having a full complement of linebackers can help. You know, a lot of those plays happen near the line of scrimmage or, you know, not too far off. So um, Dorian O'Daniel, turns out we, we really need him. Yeah, especially with how well he's been play, playing later in this season. And just in general, we saw our defense get gassed at the end of last year, so all hands on deck. As much depth, quality depth they can play that you can manage to, to put in a game of that caliber that we're about to go into, the better off you're going to be. Yeah, and I think just commenting quickly on fatigue, I think that also reared its head in the second half of this game with this defense. Um, we had a bye a bit later in the year. It was you know late October, but still that they played six, seven solid weeks of football here. All of those have been really must wins at coming off of that Pittsburgh loss um, right after the bye we had Florida State and then it's it's really been do or die since then um, for this team so uh, with some other injuries I feel like you know it, it, there's definitely been guys playing more minutes and more snaps than they would otherwise hope or have have been expected to um, so these next four weeks off are going to be really good for this defense also and, and that's where I think Virginia Tech maybe failed to capitalize because they've been a team all year that kind of picks and chooses situations when they want to go up tempo and it started working for them really well they actually started going up tempo later in the game and they were being successful at it i think they would have been smarter to employ that a little bit sooner in this game they could have had you know it was only a seven point game that could have made a big difference yeah absolutely i'm it's curious and i i don't know i may go may go look at some of the virginia tech boards to figure out if there's commentary about about why there but um, anyway, you know, this worked out 35 points, you know, one of the, the highest marks on the season for Clemson in terms of um, opponent scoring. Um, Louisville put up 36, looks like um, Florida State was right there at 34. Um, and Pittsburgh, unfortunately, put up 43 on us. But yeah, um, you know, I don't think anyone expected Virginia Tech to have a high octane offense coming into this game, even despite 
you know, Fuente and, and Evans, but well, they did average about thirty three points uh, this season on offense. Now you would expect this being the best defense they played that they wouldn't reach that mark, but they did, and they exceeded it. And it wasn't due to our offense making mistakes for once. Yeah, I mean, I th- exactly, and I think across the board, I don't know that you can chalk this up as like, oh man, you know, if Clemson had made mistakes, this would have been a blowout. I think the one one area was potentially that fake punt, and sort of hats off to their coaches for you know, having basically the balls to call that when they did down two scores. And really with the game, if you, if you mess that play up, then you're, you're really in a bad spot giving Clemson great field position, but they went for it. Um, you know, referees kind of messed that one up overall. I'm not saying they got the, the call wrong, but it looked kind of weird there for a minute. Um, but we let them march down the field and score. Well, right? we could talk all day long about the ACC refs because they strike again, that kick-catch interference call. And there were some other questionable calls in this game for both sides of yeah. the ball. So all year long, I've been just exasperated by watching them manage football games. Well, doesn't the ACC know that they wanted Clemson to win? It was better for the ACC for Clemson to win. I, I, I just think, think the Zebras would have been on our side. Again, I've mentioned this several times before. When it's as bad as I want Ron Cherry out there to watch him uh, officiate he, a game. He, he took he, a shot in... Um, I forget which game it was last week, Ron Cherry. Has he done one of our games all year long? I feel like I've seen it, seen him profiled I'm, on Twitter, but not that I can I'm recall, not sure. man. Yeah. I miss him. I miss the guy. Um, no, I think it was a Big Ten game where he took a shot. Anyway, uh, moving on. <laughs> so can we talk about – we haven't done this a lot this year because it hasn't honestly been a lot to talk about, but let's talk about special teams for a second. Uh, really good to see Artavis Scott, Dabo making the move to put him back there. Uh, you know, is is much upside as Ray Ray McLeod has in the return game. I think just getting the ball and possessing it and securing it is the way to go. Greg Hugel, uh, he hasn't been kicking the ball as deep on his kickoffs. And we heard this coming into the season where Catman actually gave Dabo and the kicking uh, uh, the kickers some advice what they do in the NFL. They actually don't have them practice as much to save their leg. You saw Virginia Tech's kicker kicking it consistently out the back of the end zone. Hugo's starting to fall short. The good news is, is that the Clemson kick coverage team has been really good. And then finally, Andy Teasdall. Come on, man. Like, he, when he needs to kick it within the 20, he kicks it to the 30 when he's, going, when he's kicking from, like, the 50. And then when he needs to get a booming putt, he can only get it, like, 35 yards. This is something the last couple of years Clemson has really suffered, and we were spoiled rotten by Bradley Pinion when he was here. Uh, the way he was able to uh, to turn the field over uh, when Clemson's offense wasn't able to uh, move the ball, and that, that makes a huge difference. So we need him to be a little more consistent, at least when you have a short field and you need to drop a ball inside the 20, don't land it on the 30, man. <laughs> yeah, got nothing to add. I mean, would be nice to see this rest benefiting Greg Hugel in terms of touchbacks um, or putting the ball where he needs it to be. I'm not sure we have a remedy for Teasdall outside of throwing the ball to Christian Wilkins. Well, he's got that up his sleeve, right? He's got that. Guy's got an arm. Uh, Well, anyway, great victory again, you know, to to seal a back-to-back ACC title. Um, Maybe we could comment just for a moment. I mean, I think it's easy to get caught up in kind of the minutia of a season and the minutia of a game and try to find, you know, the cracks in the um, in the in the dam, if you will, to, that we want to repair so that we can go and earn a championship. But um, taking a step back and looking at this being second 
second in a row ACC championship. Um, you know, I just think as Clemson fans, it's really important that we acknowledge this is basically what we've been hoping for. You know, during a lot of seasons of, oh, but what if? What if we had made these plays? What if, um, you know, certain passes had connected Boston against Boston College against Matt Ryan? You know, what if Aaron Kelly had caught that ball and we're we're going on to represent the Atlantic and you know see where that could have gone? Or what if we had overcome Georgia Tech and C.J. Spiller's last season? You know, to go see see how deep into the BCS we could have gone. I mean, this is this is the high point, you know, of certainly my Clemson fandom and trying to enjoy it as we go without being, you know, without losing sight of immediate goals. This has been a very exhausting season, um, just with all the close games. And one thing that doing this podcast has taught me, again, we've been doing it for two years now. We've only had to, we've only experienced two losses in that time. Um, You find yourself being uh, surprisingly critical when your team loses two games in two years. <laughs> you know, it just maybe just makes it harder. You always have to find something to talk about, even when you win football games. And it, we put, we put yeah. a lot of expectations on this team. And when you set expectations for anybody, uh, you know, sports teams coming into a year, it's hard to always meet those. I texted my brother. I think my comment was, true success is being mad when you win in this sport. Well, yeah, that, I mean, that's how I felt after the NC State game. Exactly, in certain points of this year. So um, we're not, we haven't been mad after wins all year. You know, it's certainly been trying to um, appreciate those too. Uh, but in general, I mean, I think it's, you know, worthwhile. It's, let's savor this. You know, it's been an awesome run with Deshaun Watson here. We had a great run with his predecessor, Taj Boyd. You know, the future's bright with some of our quarterback and recruits as the offensive leaders of our, of our program and our team. We're gonna have a lot of these guys come back next year too, from the the cupboards approaching, you know, not not just full but overflowing. Well, and and part of it is us getting used to being fans of a team that plays this well. And, you know, probably if you go back and look at Alabama, yeah, you know, they had the loss to Ole Miss last year. It happens to teams like that. They play some games inexplicably close, uh, but Alabama fans are used to that. We're not. I mean, you and I grew up in the you know, we were too young to remember the Danny Ford era. Uh, so we grew up in the Ken Hatfield, the Tommy West, uh, Tommy Bowden era of Clemson football. You know what? Back in those eras, or in the, at least in the Tommy Bowden era, uh, we would have lost, you know, some of these close games. You but, get an inexplicable or two every single season. Yeah. But listen, Clemson's 19-3 and <clears throat> since 2011 in games decided by one possession. So that says a lot. I mean, it just it takes us as fans to take a step back. And, you know, sometimes when we hear Dabo pumping the sunshine after a close win against an inferior team, we're like, come on, man, you can't keep saying stuff like that. But you know what? It's kind of right. You know, knowing how to win and winning games like that, it is, it is hard to go an entire football season and not lose a game. Because you have to – not only do you have to be more talented and have better coaching and have better schemes, but you also have to have the ball bounce – the yeah. right way, and had not good had the injury it, bug hit, hit you. A good amount of its luck, and um, this team has certainly had its fair share of that, but they've also, you know, pressed where they need to press and made the right adjustments, and as critical as we are, you know, we, we, we've we addressed a lot of play calling and coaching things, you know, throughout this season and even last. Got to give them credit for, for this this run, a 12-1 and season, um, coming off a 13-0 and season a year ago and all the success they had in the postseason, really the last five or six years, 
Um, it's been a lot been of huge. big bowl wins. A lot of big bowl wins against blue blood programs. And, um, you know, we've got another one on deck, a team we faced three years ago, Ohio State. You know, same coaching staff there. Almost an entirely new team overall. But, um, you know, it's time to do it again. And I, I feel nothing but confidence. Yeah, you know, Clemson, you know, we mentioned that they've been playing close games all year long. Uh, they've shown us time and time again they've been in, unable to put teams away, whether they're quality or inferior opponents. There's been no discrimination there. Uh, so maybe we just have to get used to that. But I will say, uh, you know, it, though I don't believe this team is going to get shell-shocked or ever feel like that uh, they can't beat anyone that they line up against, things are different now heading into the playoffs. We've got at least one, hopefully two games remaining against elite teams in Ohio State and, let's be honest, likely Alabama, um, with two coaches who are national championship winners. and Many few, times over. Yeah, with multiple, multiple teams. Stops. And future Hall of Fame coaches themselves. So the mistakes and the talent advantage that was able to over that this team was able to uh, use to overcome um, throughout the year aren't going to be as easy to overcome those mistakes with just the talent against these great teams. These teams coming up are going to make us pay. So, yeah, I think the same. We were saying the same. We we're singing the same song one year ago. You know, after beating North Carolina, we had a dream season. We're like, oh crap! Now we get. Oklahoma that's a team that had kind of been there before maybe not on that stage for a while they were a blue blood they had all the momentum in the world they looked awesome maybe there's some questions about Clemson kind of coasting into the end of the year and um, to see what the preparation looked like from this team and I, I think we had almost our most complete game I mean we had Miami a year ago where beat the brakes off of them and got their coach fired but that Oklahoma game we didn't really show any type of mistakes or you know lackadaisicalness if that's even a word in that Oklahoma game and we were missing Shaq Lawson you know I feel good about this coaching staff getting this team prepared and we'll I think preview so too. it again and, there there's yeah. there's history and there's evidence we can point to in that Oklahoma game last year and listen when this team has been at their best this year they've shown that they can beat anybody in college football this team's gonna have three weeks of practice to rest up to focus on fundamentals and come out poised with an eye on winning Clemson's first national championship since 1981 and avenge last year's loss to Alabama. You know, and I can't wait to go on that journey again because it was a really, really good time last year and I'm looking for it. I'm just so thankful when, when we beat Virginia Tech to win that ACC championship and you, you knew we were in. Didn't take anything for granted. I remember how it felt last year going into the playoff. And if we beat Ohio State in this first game, I'm not going to forget how it felt last year. I'm going to feel the same way. Uh, to be so fortunate to be a fan of a team that's going to play for another national championship. So uh, we'll see how it we'll see how it turns out. Personally, I want Alabama. I don't know who you want, but I would love to play <laughs> now, them again. We got to get that rematch. Um, you know, I lived in Seattle eight years. I got a bunch of Washington friends who are over the moon about this. They wanted Clemson probably because they think they can beat us. Think they're wrong, but um, you know, um, good for them. And I'm. I think it's going to be Bama over Washington, and I think we want Bama just to avenge last year. And, you know, when you when we win our next national championship, you want it to be against the very best. And we've got a shot here to beat Ohio State. They're a blue blood program. They've got a title two years ago. Bama won it last year. You know, you take both of those teams out, you have elevated yourself into another class as a football program. And um, Dabo's got us in a great spot. You know, can be... 
critical or, you know, come up with, you know, tiny things to nitpick with what's, what's been going on in some of these games of this season, but the man has gotten it done and, um, you know, he represents us well and God bless him. Yeah. I mean, we're a very fortunate fan base. I mean, you've seen it scrolled across the headlines from coming, you know, uh, from the horse's mouth, a bunch of Clemson fans saying, little old Cal, little old Cal town, little old Cal school, uh, doing as well as we are um, on the national landscape of college football, going up against the best of the best, against storied programs with, you know, storied coaches. Uh, Dabo has, he's turned this into something special, and we ought to all be very fortunate that, you know, we get to be a part of it. Absolutely. And make no mistake, we, we just won really, the, I think, the number one or number two quality league in the country. Um, some people still think the SEC is there. I do not. Not this season. Big Ten, they're very top heavy. You could argue the ACC is too. But I think the ACC's middle class um, is better than any other conference in the country at this point. We'll so. see. It's going to be a very interesting bowl season. I really look forward to seeing how the, the, uh, the ACC does because that's going to let us really gauge moving forward. You know, a few years ago, we're like, oh, man, we just have to beat Florida State to win the ACC. Yeah. It's not going to be the same anymore. Yeah, and I mean, the Atlantic has now won. I need to look at it, but um, it's at least six um, conference titles in a row. So I think those days are probably numbered overall. I mean, I think we're certainly going to do our part. Jimbo's sticking around at Florida State. Lamar Jackson's got one more season. So um, we'll see what happens next year in the Atlantic. That's going to be a tight race, but especially with us turning over Watson and a bunch of playmakers. But anyway, future's bright for the ACC. We're in a good spot at Clemson, and I feel good. Um, should we move on to let's, – let's touch base really quickly on the Heisman. We all knew the stakes coming in. It was Lamar Jackson's to lose. Deshaun Watson basically was the only player in the country who had a shot at um, putting up the type of you know, season-defining performance um, to compete for that. Um, and Deshaun had a phenomenal game. I mean, I think his play alone um, stood out and was a difference maker for Clemson in winning this game. I think what it might have taken, though, is a couple of things. The big criticism of Deshaun this year has been his interceptions. And whether that's fair or not, his INTs per attempt and per completion um, are at par or better than what they were a year ago. So I don't, and he has more touchdowns this season, he has more passing attempts this season. You know, certainly certain numbers are going to go up when you have, you know, 20% more passing attempts. So I don't know if any of that, if all of the INT criticism is legit. I think a lot of those were mistakes that are completely on him and not necessarily on, you know, amazing de defenses that we've played. Um, so There's those, also been those a handful are valid. that were on the wide receivers, too. 100%. That, that being said, he does have the second most in the country, I believe. So Yeah, so I, that would, you know, knowing that that was kind of the slight against him, I think having a completely flawless game was going to be necessary for him to win the Heisman. You could argue that INT was not him making, you know, a boneheaded mistake. It was a, a tip ball, and they happen to come down with it. I don't know that that necessarily kills his campaign. Uh, what I'll also say is one thing that I don't know that he has on this season Certainly a few amazing passes and awesome catches, deep balls and otherwise, um, was a signature Heisman moment that is just the, the highlight real play. You've got Lamar Jackson hurtling that Syracuse guy. Like That is the play that 
is drilled into the minds of these voters and of fans across the country. People who don't know anything about the ACC know about Lamar Jackson. They should know about Deshaun Watson. Deshaun Watson is a better quarterback, unequivocally. He is a proven winner, has just as many losses in his career as Jackson does this season. Jackson cost his team the game against their rival in Kentucky. Um, but unfortunately, I don't know that Deshaun's got that sort of vote-catching signature play. Well, you know what it would have been. I don't think it's uh, one play in particular, but a game. And it would have been that pit game. You know, he put up 580 yards passing in that game. If he doesn't have those three interceptions, uh, you know, even take away one, right. one, one of those critical interceptions, and then Clemson wins that game, I mean, 580 yards passing. I mean, that's an amazing stat. Yeah, incredible. So, um, again, I, th- I think his last two weeks of this season prior to this Heisman vote, which comes in tomorrow, we'll find out the finalists, and then Saturday night they reveal it. Deshaun's going to be in New York. Um, at this point, Ben, I want to I want to hear your odds or hear your kind of slant on who you think's going to win it. But I'm going 60-40 Lamar Jackson winning this over Deshaun. You know, point. yeah, and I think you're probably right just because of all the hype that Lamar Jackson has had all season uh, and the fact that a lot of you know several of the losses came late and people seem to have already made up their minds before then. Not to mention the fact that the Heisman Trophy has a pretty good history of selecting guys with questionable character. I don't know that Lamar has questionable character. I mean. I've seen a lot better average Sean Watson. For sure. We'll, at least as, we'll leave that part of that. As far as composing but, himself. There's, yeah, granted yeah. that he hasn't done the same the things that some of the other guys have. Sure. That I'm talking about. Totally. But I think as an all-around uh, uh, person and quarterback <laughs> in general, that I, you know, my vote goes to Deshaun Watson. Absolutely. And, I, you know, again, I won't be shocked if – they give him, they give Watson the nod, and don't don't put it past everyone voting here to, you know, get get upset or get nonplussed about Lamar throwing the Heisman pose up and then turning around the next series fumbling and um, losing that game for his team. You know, call it a career award that they give to Sean Watson for being stellar, being the last guy to really give Alabama a scare. Um, you could see that, so I won't be shocked if it happens. It will be a pleasant surprise. So. Yeah, and again, you know, not to take anything away from Lamar Jackson because he did put up some incredible numbers this year. And, you know, if he does win, you can't – it's going to be hard to make an argument against it. Uh, but at the end of the day, I think if you make all the comparisons, if you look at who's really the best quarterback, you look at the, the team that's in the college football playoff with one loss as opposed to a team that's not there with three losses, um, you know uh, – a guy where some of his turnovers cost them. Well, we already know Deshaun's going to have a much better collegiate career than Lamar. Lamar's going to be around one more year. Maybe Lamar will have a Heisman to his name. Maybe he'll have two. He will have at most one playoff berth. And And I don't think he's going to play in the NFL as a quarterback. We will see. I I haven't really thought about that. Um, But I think Deshaun will. (laughs) Yeah. Pretty sure. Um, So... Let's move on from Clemson. You guys, by this point, we're recording this Sunday night. You know about um, where everyone's landing, where the seedings came in. Um, Really what matters for us is that Ohio State got the three seed, Clemson the two seed. Uh, So we will play them on New Year's Eve in the later slot. That one kicks off at 7 Eastern, 4 Pacific um, on New Year's Eve. So uh, that one's huge. Ohio State was off this week. They had a bye. Urban Meyer was able to go recruit which I think is, you know, ridiculous that 
they didn't have to play and got into the playoff. But, um, you know, th- that's what you get when you... It's a bye-bye way of losing to Penn State. It's a bye-bye, yeah, exactly. And only having 12 games on your schedule instead of having to play for the 13th. But um, without getting into what could be its own show, which is debating what the committee came up with, um, I'll just say that I think Ohio State is definitely among the top four best teams in the country, and we are going to face a very capable opponent. Uh, they may not necessarily be playing their very best football. I think they've been a little bit of an enigma this year in seeing what type of game you're going to get out of JT Barrett. You mentioned earlier in the show, and we mentioned all year, they're a very young team. But they're a very young team of five-star and four-star talent. Who are going to have three weeks of extra uh, bowl practice under a coach uh, in Urban Meyer. So Yeah, totally. So, you know, by this point, they're basically, all of them basically have a full season of experience, even if they're young, um, let alone, you know, the rest of the guys in their squad that are red shirts and whatever. This isn't going to be Oklahoma from last year, I don't think. Yeah, I definitely don't either. So um, we'll for sure profile them, um, you know, see about getting potentially an interview with someone from an Ohio State fan at the very least. Um, that one's big. On the flip side, you've got Bama. No surprise at number one. The big controversy was Washington. But again, as a one-loss conference champion, I don't think you can argue with their merit in getting into this this playoff. Whether or not they're the number four team, better than that, worse than that, um, I think they're justified in getting in over Penn State. I think the, the big debate people have is Penn State, Ohio State, uh, what with Penn State holding a head-to-head and holding a Big Ten championship. I think in general, though, when it came to Penn State versus UW, that's really who was fighting for the fourth spot. They looked at UW losing to a top-10 team versus Penn State losing to Pitt, who's you know in the 20s, and then Michigan. They, beat the they lost by team in the country, though. They did lose by 39 to Michigan. Yeah. True. So, but by that logic, then how is Michigan not ranked ahead of Penn State? That that's what I'm. They lost to Iowa, who sucks. Well, Penn State lost to Pitt, who a lot of people are saying who sucks. Um, I mean, all I'm saying is, like, I have no complaints about Washington being in there. I don't think that that they're that great of a football team because I don't think the Pac-12 is that great of a football conference. I do think that Southern Cal probably is the best team in that conference right now. Um, you know, I watched that Washington-Colorado game. Yeah, they, they steamrolled Colorado, but Colorado looked like a high school team out there. There's no way that Colorado, who currently sits ranked 10th in the country, there's no way that they're the 10th best team in the country. I, I saw those guys play on the field. It's just no way. So, But still, I have no problem with Washington getting in there with their body work, winning the conference. I just don't see how Penn State, given the fact that they beat Ohio State head-to-head, the fact that they won the division that both Michigan and Ohio State is in, and then they won the Big Ten Conference. How did they are not in this playoff? And I know you're saying, I think well, it's, it's look, simple. Look, at, look at body yeah. of work and look at Ohio State, blah, 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 blah. But that's what going to a conference, that's what playing interconference is. It's a in-season tournament. You play each other. The team that comes out with the best record in the division goes to the conference championship game and you take the winner. It's different than NCAA tournament basketball because eight teams make it in from the biggest conferences into the NCAA tournament. One, maybe two tops are going to make it into this top four. 
I think Penn State won the in-season tournament legitimately. They played better and better as the year went along. Yeah, they had some early season losses. Yeah, they got blown up by Michigan. But look how well they were playing at the end of the season. Cody mentioned it last time. Remember that time Ohio State got blown out by Virginia Tech in the first game of the year? What did they end up doing? They lost by 14, but then they ran the table. Um, I think this one came down to simple math. One loss versus two losses. But I think also they want to reward the behavior that Ohio State had, which is scheduling home and homes against a very strong out-of-conference opponent. And they not only did that, they not only went in and played Oklahoma, who has looked amazing down the stretch, but they handled them at home. They blew them out. And I think that right there is your answer why they're in over Penn State. They handled them on the road in Norman. In Norman, that's what I mean. Right. Yep, exactly. So, um, and, I, and I understand that, but I think I think the outer the strength of your outer conference schedule matters more when you're measuring up against somebody in another conference who is playing other teams for the majority of the schedule. You don't have a lot of common opponents, but I think in this case in Penn State and Ohio State, you do. Yeah. And they have the head to head. That's all I'm saying. I can respect that. I think generally I've found them to speak about head to heads more as the third priority or as like a tiebreaker between equal teams. And not necessarily as the first criteria or winning your conference is the first criteria. So um, I don't know necessarily that we found out any type of clear formula or path coming out of this selection this year. Um, It's totally case by case, which it's a flawed system. It's not perfect. It's not ideal. I think what we may see in probably two to three years time is they're going to have another pickle or two and then figure someone's going to get screwed. A blue blood's going to get screwed. And then we're going to see a really big it'll, political it'll, push. It'll probably be from the Big 12. <laughs> I'm all right with that. But I think there'll be a big push to expand. And um, a lot of people talk about eight. They think that's ideal. Uh, I don't know. I don't know how I feel about having three, three lost teams jockeying to get into this thing and you know talking about them being better than each other. I like, I like how exclusive it is right now. I like four. I could be talked into six. I think what six does is you can keep at least the first leg of this thing on campus, you can give teams an extra home game. That would be really interesting. You know, a December home game in Clemson. How two, awesome two would that be? Two teams get a buy. Two teams get a buy. You know, maybe you play the first leg on, on campus somewhere. Um, that would be more interesting than yet another poorly attended, expensive as hell to get to, uh, neutral site game somewhere in an NFL stadium. Well, and, and how you know you see how exciting it was when we were arguing over these last couple seeds between the three and four spot between these really good football teams uh, that starts when to get, get diluted eight, once yeah, you get down to totally. eight. It does. So I can see. Or you five. lose your first game and you're like, no big deal. You know, maybe we lose two. We still in our conference. That's fine. Like, so I can see going to six maybe working, but I, yeah. I'd be hesitant to, to move it uh, much further past that because I don't think it's like college basketball where an eight seed can go and win it all. Eight or nine seed can go and win it all. Yeah. I think it's pretty simple. Like if you play in, if you win your conference, and you look better than, you know, one other Power Five conference champion in doing it. You're nor- most years you're going to get in. This year, the Big Ten just happened to have several elite teams, and it caused a little bit of chaos, a little bit of, you know, uneasiness here, and made the decision pretty tough. But I think Penn State made it hard on themselves by losing to Pitt and by getting blown out by Michigan. If they had squeaked by or gotten, you know, squeaked by by Michigan, or you know, that pit loss, by the way, I don't know if you guys remember back to September, Penn State blew that game. And the committee did not mention how they lost that game, but 
Penn State had that one to win, and they did not look like any type of team that belonged in a playoff conversation. Uh, Clemson also lost to Pitt. Uh, yeah, fair shot, enough. Shot themselves in the foot. <laughs> late, I mean, late in the season, I'll give Pitt all the props in the world for you know slaying two conference champions. Um, they're going places. They they're going to give Justin Fuente's squad a, a race, but um, yeah, they're going places. They're going to the Pinstripe Bowl. Who do they play in that? I didn't see their opponent. I have no clue. Yeah. I stopped it. Not Notre Dame. I we stopped know that. it playing in a baseball stadium. <laughs> exactly. Crazy. <laughs> Poor Pitt. Um, anyway, elsewhere, um, Florida State got in over Louisville into the Orange Bowl. They're going to play Michigan. I think that's going to be one of the best games out of the New Year's Six. Uh, the Rose Bowl is also going to be interesting. That's Penn State, USC. For my money, those are going to be the two best football games that we're going to watch outside of the playoff. Um, might even be better than the Peach Bowl. Uh, We'll see. But otherwise, um, you've got Wisconsin, Western Michigan in the Cotton Bowl. Western Michigan gets that coveted uh, group of five sort of lesser division, um, best team kind of nod that they get there. Sugar Bowl is what, Auburn, Oklahoma? Is that right? And then I think you have, yeah, that's right, Auburn, Oklahoma. Um, so those are the big ones. You know, we, we can obviously break down ACC teams where – where they landed. And we mentioned at the top, South Carolina. Uh, they go to the Birmingham Bowl. So that's a curious... Were, were you not kidding about that? Is this the third year in a row? Oh, yeah. that he Mushers... went there for Florida. He did not coach in it because he was fired. <laughs> then he went there. Auburn went last year. He did not coach in it because he had gotten hired. So his teams, he's gotten them into three consecutive Birmingham Bowls. This will be the first one he actually is on a sideline for. Nice. South Carolina champions of mediocrity. Yeah. Who are they um, playing, USF? They play USF. So Willie Taggart, their head coach, he's had a lot of success there. Beat Clemson in distant memory, 2010. Um, I think that was in the – which bowl was that? Russell Athletic or something like that? Maybe the Rab, yeah. Um, Probably something. Um, Music City? No, it was played in the state of Florida. I know that. Um, Who cares? We're we playing for national that. champions. <laughs> exactly. Na- national um, championships. Now. Well, they beat us. But anyway – Willie Taggart is interviewing all over the place for head coaching positions. Uh, he may even interview at Oregon. So if he's hired away, maybe this Gamecocks will luck out and not have to face them. But I think in terms of a matchup, they present a, a terrible matchup for the Gamecocks. And um, they'll be lucky to win that one. I think a pile of dirt presents a terrible matchup for the Gamecocks. Any other commentary about bowl games elsewhere? Anything that stuck out to you about this weekend's games? Um, I mean, I, we could talk about the Big Ten championship game. If you want to talk about the SEC, you can do it. But um, I think we were watching that concurrently with the, our, our Clemson game, um, and I thought that one was put away. Like, Washington, or sorry, Wisconsin, you know, went up early lead, looked like they out, that one handily won. Um, and we were, weren't really focusing on it too much, but you just saw, sort of saw Penn State, like, chip away at that lead. And um, we saw the very end of that. There were a lot of commercial breaks happening in our game, and – yeah, crazy. Well, it's because as Penn State was coming back and you start to realize they're going to win and you look up at our score and you're like, uh, okay, maybe we need to win by some more because right. you know, yeah, Penn we don't, State can come in and mess things yeah, up. I mean, that was the only thing. Never if, know. if Wisconsin wins that, then it's solidly Bama, Clemson, Ohio State, Washington, the two through four, you can mix up yeah. that order whichever, you know, whichever way you want. But Yeah, they created about 12 to 15 hours of just like tons of speculation, lots of politicking and all that and I think, you know, for Penn State to... But better than BCS, right? Like, yeah, yeah. It's a lot BCS better than BCS. would have had Clemson and Ohio State jockeying for position, and 
if you guys recall, like the coaches poll and the AP. Oh, no, there was a metric of some guy that lived in his mom's basement that had to do with that. Like right. Some, some, totally. Some calculation formulation that he had. So yeah. this is much better. Far better. It's great. I think going back, I think for Penn State to have proven their case, they would have needed to blow out Wisconsin in this game. And, you know, the minute they went down 14 nothing, like in the first, you know, five minutes of that game, I felt like their their fate was sealed a bit, but you know, good for them. They got to their, I think it's like their fourth Rose Bowl ever, fourth or fifth Rose Bowl of all time. Um, that's good for them. I can't cheer too hard for Penn State for other reasons that we won't go into here, but um, you know, I can uh, things have moved on a little bit. I can cheer for the kids on the football team because uh, nothing that has happened in recent history to, with that Penn State football program has anything to do with those kids on the football team. So, um, yep. good for them. I'm excited that uh, they get to go to a Rose Bowl. I know it's not a playoff game, but well-deserved for that that, uh, that Penn State team. Definitely. And I, I also think the committee might have wanted to avoid a Michigan State situation from a year ago where they came in and got blown out by Alabama. I think Washington is a much better matchup for Alabama. Again, you know, Clemson or Ohio State may be the only two teams that could give Bama a run, and I actually feel like the answer is Clemson there. Um, so hopefully we get that chance. But, you know, I think Washington presents a much better opportunity than Penn State. They've got much better athletes. Chris Peterson, you give him a month. The things he did at Boise to Oklahoma and some other um, Power 5 schools, you know, that had to be weighing on the committee's mind a bit in that Washington selection. That's not the first criteria. I think Washington earned it through their resume and, and their talent. Uh, but, you know, I think Chris Peterson definitely gets gets the benefit of the doubt there. Yeah, looking forward to seeing some uh, Statue of Liberty plays. Some proposals, <laughs> ladders. Some, some proposals on the sideline after a touchdown. <laughs> yeah, ought to be entertaining. For sure. Um, well, that's all we have on the football front. Again, we'll be back with you guys um, several times now before we kick off on New Year's Eve. Before we wrap, Ben, take us through some Clemson basketball. Yeah, so we're going to do a deeper dive now that uh, the football regular season is over into Clemson basketball. We've, uh, you know, you know, this basketball team has deserved a bit more attention this year, and we unfortunately haven't been able to uh, give it that attention. But we mentioned at the uh, conclusion of the last episode as we were watching the game that uh, Clemson had beaten uh, Nebraska in the ACC Big Ten Challenge. John uh, Blossom game in that game had 15 points. Uh, the ACC actually won the uh, Big Ten Challenge 9-5. to That's the first time since 2008, so maybe an upswing for the, the ACC. Uh, the Big Ten is a good basketball conference, so that, that was good to see. And good to see Clemson carry its weight. Yeah, I think for me that obviously is the the best part here. But I think the middle class of the ACC is really strong. And you're starting to see some benefit from the expansion that's gone on with Pitt, Louisville, and Syracuse in recent years um, come to fruition. But, um, yeah, UNC losing to Indiana, that one was tough for sure. Well, at least you're losing to, uh, you know, the state that, like, invented basketball or something <laughs> like that. I think it was invented I think it was invented by a Canadian in Kansas. Yeah. Indiana has something to do with it. I don't know. but uh, Indiana is the cradle of basketball. A very storied basketball frame in a, a state that really embraces basketball. Uh, and then today, Clemson uh, 
steamrolled Coppin State. I think they were 0-9 or something like that coming into the game, so no surprise there. Blossom game, another really good game, 15 points, 11 rebounds. Concerning stat, he's only shooting 14% from three this year. I think he was in the upper 30s, maybe lower 40s. Uh, 0-3 in this game uh, last year, that is. Um, 0-3 in this game. He's back down to 14%. Uh, although, bright side, Shelton Mitchell, he gets his first start this year over Gabe DeVoe. He had 12 points. As good mm. as Gabe has been this year, I think he's probably better coming. This team is better if he's coming off the bench. And Shelton Mitchell is more of a, a scorer and has more of an impact on offense um, as a starter. Um, City Jatay, only two fouls, man. I mean, that's, that's not bad. He fouls out pretty much every game by <laughs> halftime. Um, yeah, so this team's currently on a three-game win streak. They've got no bad losses on the year, which is something that plagued them last year and probably kept them from getting into the NCAA tournament. NCAA tournament. There's only two losses to Xavier and Oklahoma, so that's gonna, you know, that's not gonna look bad when they're building their resume uh, come March. Uh, they play Mercer next Saturday, this upcoming Saturday in Little John Coliseum. So if you're in the area, go out there. Support them, cheer that tier, team on. Ben, I didn't get to speak with you actually about your visit, um, not only for the South Carolina game, which we did talk about, but um, Little John, what's your take on the Reno? I thought it was fantastic. I was really happy to see that they got uh, a student section down, not just at the at the end of one of the uh, in one of the the goals, but yeah. down along the side. Uh, behind so court side student section basically yeah yep. opposite side of the scores table uh, behind one of the media <laughs> probably sections. for the best yeah so no I, I thought that was fantastic um, uh, the seats the seat cushions man more comfortable than my airline seats <laughs> in coach on the way there and back um, it doesn't take much it, it, no it doesn't but and, and then the facilities in general I thought walking around the arena it was a major upgrade I, I I think they missed the mark the first time when they renovated Little John Coliseum because it wasn't a lot of change, uh, you know, from that one. But it's noticeable this time, and it really feels like, a, you know, listen, we're never going to be uh, a team like North Carolina, or we're never going to be uh, Duke and Kansas that have these old historic buildings. Like that's just not going to be the case. So Clemson's identity is not going to come from that. But I think the facilities upgrade with the addition of the practice facility is going to do Clemson well. Hopefully. Brad Belnell has what he needs. He's got the talent this year, and we start to make a pretty good run. And listen, Clemson's gotten better in uh, football. Baseball is back on the rise. Soccer, um, I was going to mention that, unfortunately, lost one to nothing to Denver in the lead eight on the last-minute goal. That was a heartbreaker, but they've gotten better. You know, they played in the national championship game last year. So I think uh, all signs pointing up. Clemson athletics are doing really well right now, and again, Expect really good things out of the basketball team this year, but we'll get into that here in future episodes. For sure. Excellent. Um, well, that is all the time we have for today. Um, definitely wanted to thank you all for listening and tuning in. Um, want to give a quick shout out to ourselves, the podcast. Um, you made it this far. You've heard about us from somewhere. We appreciate the word of mouth. You guys have been uh, telling friends and family about the podcast, so we appreciate that. Um, if you want to keep up with us some more, we post pretty frequently um, on Twitter and on Facebook. You can just look for Clemson Podcasts there. And um, if you're looking for other ways to keep track of whenever we're posting shows, sometimes we record, we push this thing live, and it takes, some, takes us some time to tell you guys about it. So um, make sure to subscribe to us. If you use 
a smartphone app to um, listen to podcasts generally. You can find us there. We're, we're really distributed across all of them. Um, and then we post everything we do up on SoundCloud as well. So that's probably your best place to check us out. You can download our shows as well. Um, so yeah, appreciate that. Appreciate you guys spreading the word. That is it for this show. Thanks for tuning in. Check us out next time. And as always, go Tigers. What I told him tonight was, listen, we give you scholarships. We give you, uh, you know, stipends and meals and a place to live. We give you nice uniforms. I can't give you guts and I can't give you heart. And tonight, hey, it was BYOG, bring your own guts. And they brought some guts and some heart and they know.